Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by our priest associate, the Reverend Mark Smith, on the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, August 30th, 2020. be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Clearly, Matthew's rehabilitation of Peter in last Sunday's gospel was premature. Through his confession of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, it seemed that at long last he had come to know the full presence of Jesus, the nature of his ministry, and his kinship with God. To be sure, this conclusion came neither easily nor quickly. Despite Peter's almost blind willingness to drop his fishing nets and pick up his life in response to Jesus' invitation to follow him, Peter repeatedly drifts from the path of faithful discipleship. In faith, he walks on the water to meet Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, but quickly is overwhelmed by fear and begins to drown, only to be rescued by Jesus and reminded that his faith is little. It is the same Peter who, with the other disciples, learns the essence of true faith through the witness of a Canaanite woman, a pagan, who simply sought Jesus' cure of her ailing daughter. Last week, however, we were led to believe that Peter's faith had finally reached maturity, so much so, in fact, that Jesus renames him the rock and promises to build his kingdom, the church, on his shoulders. Yet this morning, we learn that Peter still doesn't get it. Peter the rock is actually Peter the stumbling stone. Now before we collectively roll our eyes, sigh in disgust and wince at Peter's continued cluelessness, let's be honest with ourselves. Our individual journeys of faith, while distinctively different, each began with a simple response to Jesus' summons to follow him. Through our baptism, our study of scripture, our shared worship and communion, and our ministry to others, our faith grew. Yet like Peter, we frequently find ourselves riddled with doubt. We signed ourselves neglectful of, if not hostile towards, those within our community whose needs and lives so differ from ours. And despite those moments of epiphany, when we seem to fully grasp the essence of God, we too stumble. This morning's gospel would be simple and straightforward if its sole purpose was to remind us of our repeated failures in faith and our inability to discern and live into the full glory of God. The challenge of this text is not, however, fundamentally about misguided or immature faith, but rather about the principal stumbling block that impedes a life of faith and a ministry grounded in the mercy of Jesus. The stumbling block? The cross. To be sure. We live in the bright light and hope of resurrection, but our journey into the fullness of the God 
is the same as his. And it begins at the cross. How difficult it must have been for Peter, who finally understood Jesus as Messiah, to now have to grapple with the prediction of his master's humiliating crucifixion. And how difficult it is for each of us to accept and even welcome the same burden of the cross in our own lives. The text begins with a profoundly important teaching moment in which Jesus begins to inform his disciples that he must journey to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of religious leaders, be killed, and three days later be raised from the dead. Peter is stunned and protests vehemently, calling on God to prevent such a horrific faith for his own son. And among the harshest words in the New Testament, Jesus sternly rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan, he demands. Peter must have been reeling. After all, he was defending his Lord, protesting any thought of harm that might befall him, seemingly reflecting the faith which had developed in his long time with Jesus. What had he missed? Why this sudden, abrupt, and painful scolding? How could he, the rock, now be told that he was nothing more than a mere stumbling stone? We might be asking precisely the same thing at this moment. Missed by Peter, the disciples and too often the church throughout the ages, is the verb in Jesus' declaration of his passion. He does not say, I will, I should, or I want regarding his suffering and death. Rather, the word is must. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer, and he must be killed. This is neither speculative nor volitional language. It is intentional, purposeful, and unequivocal. Clearly, Jesus and the disciples were well aware of the many plots to destroy him. So obviously, his declaration is neither naive nor uninformed. With no other possible explanation, we are thus left to understand that just as Jesus' birth and ministry were part of God's broader narrative on behalf of the world, so too will be his death, also on behalf of the world. The cross to which Jesus will eventually be condemned, that he will carry and on which he will die is no accident of history, no mere tragic intrusion of evil into a holy life. Rather, it is a destination knowingly, willingly, and faithfully embraced. It is Jesus' goal. It's bad enough that Peter and his disciples missed this crucial insight into Jesus and God's plan of salvation. But the weight of the cross was not the only part of Jesus' declaration that went unheard. Indeed, he would suffer and be executed in Jerusalem. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. 
While the cross may be the destination, God's victory over death will be the result for him, for the disciples, and for us. Hopeful though this promise is, it is clear that neither he nor we can emerge from the empty tomb, however, without the journey to the cross. Rightfully, Jesus then instructs his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. But what is their cross? This seemingly innocuous pronoun, their, has been a real stumbling block for 2,000 years of interpreters, preachers, and faithful followers of Jesus. How easy it is for us to assume that the cross is individualized, personalized, a burden in our own lives. We bear the cross of failed marriages, fickle friends, and hateful bosses. We bear the cross of caring for sick children and aging parents. And we bear the cross of unfulfilling employment, social rejection, and personal failures. Bearing our cross truly has become synonymous in daily language with the challenges of our lives. Yet however frequently we use this phrase to describe our circumstances, it has little, if anything, to do with the invitation Jesus was extending to the disciples and to us. The challenge of our lives are demanding and at times debilitating, and I do not intend to minimize them in the least. Caring for others, giving ourselves in service, putting the needs of our families ahead of our own are indeed worthy actions. They may be difficult, they may be a burden, and they may be painful, but they are not the cross of which Jesus speaks. The cross that Jesus invites us to take up is not our own, but his. To follow Jesus, to be his faithful disciple, is to enter into the narrative God has created for him and for us, to enter into his suffering and death, and thereby to enter into his resurrection and eternal life. To follow Jesus is to give up our lives to him. And to follow him is to live in humble service to the community of the world in Jesus' name. For those who reject the invitation of the cross, life will be incomplete. But for those who embrace Jesus' cross, life will be gained and fulfilled beyond our expectation and beyond all measure. As Jesus makes clear, the cross is not about us. It's about him. So how then do we respond to Jesus' challenge and take up his cross? It means standing up to gun-waving lawyers, threatening peaceful protesters and their political cronies because that's what Jesus would do. It means distributing an eventual coronavirus vaccine first to those most impacted by this plague, the poor, the isolated, those without access to even basic health care, 
because that's what Jesus would do. And it means putting ourselves at risk to reclaim our streets from increasingly militarized and unhinged police as our communities from a criminal justice system focus on retribution rather than restoration because that's what Jesus would do. Indeed, taking up the cross is not about managing the trials of our own lives, necessary though that is. No, taking up the cross means committing fully to being Jesus' presence, his hands, his feet, his heart, and his voice in a world which cries out for the emptying of ourselves in the care of the most vulnerable among us. May God's Spirit daily equip us for the ministry to which you and I have been called, the discipleship of the cross. Amen.